0: What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here, as always. I'm your host, Bob McIntosh, and on today's show we have a good friend of mine, John Blackburn. Now, uh, I won't tell all of John's dirty secrets, even though I've known him for <laughs> for years. Um, but uh, the one thing that I, I I'm excited about this conversation, for, well, for a couple of reasons. One, as we are watching this market shift right under our feet, um, very quickly, actually, I'd say, especially for real estate. I mean, still not not like you know day to day necessarily, but. Still very quickly in comparison to what we've seen in many other aspects of real estate. Um, I've also known John to have an immense amount of knowledge about the space, right? He holds, uh, particularly in the, I'll say, long-term rental and other apartments and doing, you know, burr strategy and things of that nature, which we'll get into if you don't know. Uh, he just, he's a wealth of information. So I'm excited for him to be on to share what it is. It's been a hot minute since we've gotten to have a, a longer conversation of this nature. So John, thanks for being on buddy. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, man. Appreciate you having me. This is going to be fun.
0: Absolutely. So, so, You know, I I imagine at least a a bunch of people who are uh, watching this, if you're in the Facebook group, and by the way, if you're not in the Facebook group, you should be joining if you're listening to this later on. Uh, But for anyone who doesn't know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background, what you do, and how you got to where you're at right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I've been a real estate investor, I think, for 17 or 18 years at this point in time. It's hard to keep track. Uh, I, I kept saying like 14 years, 14 years. And then one day I had to do the math. I was like, well, been 17. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my claim to fame is uh, to be able to deal with all that stress for 17 years and still keep all my hair. So it, it hasn't been too bad. Um, there you go. My main focus, you know, I, I've done a lot of you know the retail flips and wholesaling and and you know what you think traditionally of real estate investment at least the active side so i've done a lot of that um, you know my biggest driving focus and desire has always been to invest in long term buy and hold rental properties so i think i've bought and sold over about 2500 rental properties uh, right. in that time frame so yeah it's been uh, it's been awesome it's been a it's been a ride and you know i'm just i couldn't be more excited about what's <laughs> happening in the marketplace because, you know, for me, this is just, you know, everything's going on sale. So I'm super excited right. about that. And, yeah, I mean, that's just my focus right now. The next, uh, you know, five years, my goal is to add about another 200 units um, to my overall portfolio just because I think the available inventory is going to be there. So I've got to strike while the iron's hot.
0: Yeah. And I I think that that's an interesting thing. So I want to actually want to point out something. So 17 years, which means like myself, you've kind of went through the last round of crazy real estate downturn, which we haven't seen for for a hot minute. Right. But I feel like if you could survive the freak out and like, you know, go, okay, wait, there's opportunity here um, and go. And it, it was interesting. I was on a call not too long ago and there was a bunch of I I call them newbie investors, right? Most of them were, I'll say, sub six, seven years of doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is not to, I'm I'm not uh, downplaying their experience of six, seven years, but they've only operated in good markets, right? Like they've never gone through that down. And it's funny because, and I want to highlight this for all of you listening or watching this. He said, there's a lot of opportunity to buy things at a discount. And I think that's super important. Everyone's freaking out about pricing or interest rates or this or that or whatever, right? But the reality is, there's going to be an insane opportunity to buy stuff. And I'm excited too. Uh, I, wanna, let me, I, I always want to uh, uh, frame that because I'm excited for the opportunity. There's a lot of people that are going to be hurt, right? There's going to be a lot of pain for a lot of folks in this, which is, I'm not excited about that part, right? Because I, I never want to see people hurt. But at the same time, uh, I know so much more now like you, and I'm excited for what that means. So uh, what specifically for you is really exciting you about this opportunity that's coming up and, and why so?
1: Yeah. And just to kind of touch on one thing you just had mentioned, you know, when I started real estate, I think it was 2007 uh, going into 2008. Right. So like I, you know, it started, I was like a flash in a pan, right. I was hot real quick, you know, selling deals. and I was a retail real estate agent. So I was just slinging deals left and right. I mean, you know, if you could fog a mirror, you could sell real estate back then. And then exactly. Got it. (laughs) Got it. Right. And it got to a point where, you know, the market just fell apart. And it was, you know, I don't know if you, many of you guys know this, but like, literally, um, I had friends who were in the banking industry that would like have went home on Friday, and went to the office that following Monday, and the bank was closed, right? Like no phone call, no email, it's just gone forever, and never re- return. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when I watched this market fall apart, and I wasn't in the play, I was young, you know, I was, You know, I was 20 years old, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I just thought I was, you know, the hottest shit in the world and realized (laughs) that that was not the case. Uh, You know, you actually had to be intelligent to do this job. And, you know, I remember going through 2008, 9, 10 and thinking to myself, I go, man, the next time this happens, I'm going to be ready and I'm going to talk myself off the sideline because all of this propaganda of all the, the, the sky is falling, right. You know, right. it's all going to come back. And that was, you know, I think that I, I carry that into today with the confidence that knows like, yeah, this is just, it's cyclical, right. It's going to come down. It's going to go back up. And, you know, there are a lot of people um, out there who will become millionaires through this, this market transition. And there'll be some people that, you know, get hurt. Uh, one thing that I've always focused on is, you know my main driver is to buy rental properties right and one thing that happens in a down, in a recession is rent's increase because the demand for rent increases and just as you know you and your dad and stuff have invested over the years you take the the worst home in the nicest neighborhood turn it around and sell it to a, a family who's in need of that home right you're brightening up those neighborhoods it's the same situation here right we're we're creating you know, a place for someone to live in in a time where it's hard to find a good quality place to live in an economy that might not be the sexiest thing in the world. Right. So, you know, as much as people are getting hurt, we can do as much as we can to add value to those people during this time of need for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, and so let's, let's actually talk about that a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. rents increasing during recessions. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the the counterpoint that I often hear, and I would love to hear your take on this, is, well, sure, rents increase during recessions, but if they don't have any money, they can't pay rent, so you're going to end up screwed anyways. So yeah. what's, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, first off, it's just a supply and demand curve, right? You know, um, people's wages usually stagnate or decrease. Um, they're in a position where interest rates are higher. So the housing, the affordability of housing to buy a home is lower. And people just overall, because of fear, are holding on to more cash. So they're unwilling to go out and buy a bigger house or nicer house or the first house or something like that. So their desire to rent is higher. And I think I think a lot of people think, immediately think recession, job loss. Recession, job loss. Like it's, it's like this synonymous thing when it's not, it's recession because of higher interest rates, recession because of people are scared to invest, recession because, so, you know, just because there's a recession, yeah, the amount of people who are struggling to find employment is certainly higher, but that's not diminishing those people who are wanting to rent, who are qualified and able to rent, right? And, you know, As an investor, you also need to pay attention to the demographic that you're targeting with your rentals, right? If, you know, you're buying in the urban core where, you know, traditionally people are very transient in terms of their jobs, that's only going to get worse in a time of recession, right? If you're focusing more on, you know... uh, higher blue collar, maybe lower white collar areas, then, you know, those, those areas aren't nearly as affected with the recession. It's just, they're unwilling to spend more money to buy a house. They're unwilling to pay a higher interest rate. So they just rent longer. That's, that's the difference.
0: And that's awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something for everyone else to take away too. Um, Understanding, Hey, like there are different kinds of recessions and something that you talked about is like, Hey, interest rate recession. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, one of my favorite things i see i literally just saw on um i think it was an advertisement for pace morby's course or whatever he's like like some guys like it's a terrible time to buy houses the the interest yeah. rates are this or whatever and i was like oh man like i love i love when people say that cuz i'm like okay cool yeah. I, like so uh, let's talk a little bit about that so how how are interest rates affecting especially in the rental game you know what what we're doing as investors yeah. I mean, at the end of
1: the day, right, like interest rates, when they increase, especially from a rental standpoint, it's going to, in the immediate, it's going to decrease your cash flow, right? Because you're paying more for the money you borrowed on that house, right? And that mm-hmm. comes out of your pocket because the renter's having to pay that, right? You know, two things, uh, be two things beside death and taxes are, are, are true in real estate. And that is one, the You know, the following reaction to higher interest rates is the housing market slows, properties drop, property prices decrease. Right. So, oh, you know, for a second, prices were up here and interest rates just kept rising. Then all of a sudden you start to they they both start to move. Right. Interest rates go up, prices move down and the spread's no different than what it was when interest rates were three percent because now you're paying $100,000 less for that house, right? So, right. you know, the 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 opportunity cost up front, you know, in the first 6 or 12 months, you know, yes, you're you're still um, not having as much cash flow, but guess what will also happen, guys? Interest rates will go down. So what do you do? In 3 years, you just refinance the house, right? It's not rocket science in that sense, you know. So you either Allow property prices to come in alignment with the higher interest rates to receive the same cash flow or buy a house and plan on refinancing it in five years, right? When interest rates do come down, right? So the, the best time to buy a, re- a piece of real estate was yesterday. And I don't care if it was in 2007, 2010, or 2022, that was the best time to buy a piece of real estate.
0: <laughs> and I, I think that's such an important point, right? Is understanding, and, and I want to focus on something you said, the spread, right? Right. We get focused on one singular data point. Oh, interest yeah. rates are high, but we forget that there's a bounce to that. That it's caused a reciprocal, or yep. a, not a reciprocal, but I guess maybe that would be it, a reciprocal uh, reaction, which is prices coming down. Mm-hmm. And understanding how how that works. So, um, one of the things that you said was, you know, you were trying to add an additional 200 units uh, to your portfolio. How are you doing that, right? Because most people are going to go, I can't get 200 loans or, you know, what's the process Mm -hmm. that you're going through to make that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a process, right? And, you know...
0: (laughs) We love processes in real estate.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think with newer investors, right? People don't know what they don't know, right? And, you know, they think I can't get 200 loans or I can't, you know, I can never come up with those down payments or so on and so forth. And the reality is actually, yes, you can. Um, it just, you know, it's a learning process that you go through over time to realize that, right? Like, you know, when you're first starting out, you're like, okay, five, I can do five properties. Right. And then once you hit 30, you're like, maybe I can do 200. Right. Um, so for me, the, the main kind of strategy that I use to, to buy rental properties is the Burr investing strategy, which you had brought up earlier in the call is, you know, and that stands for buy, renovate, rent refinance and repeat, right? So we're buying a value add asset, right? One that needs some work. We're doing that renovation. And then through that renovation, we've increased the equity in the home. So the ultimate goal is when we get to that refinance piece, right, we have enough equity in the home that we can pull out all of our initial cash that we've put in. And, you know, yes, we had to have cash to put in. That's where we use hard money or private money, right? Again, not using any of our own capital. And then, you know, normally the best way to kind of just keep this process rolling on the refinance side, is just creating a relationship with the local lender, right? That understands the market, that wants to see good things happen in their city and they feel confident in the areas you're investing in and, and they're willing to extend you credit because- They know what you're doing. They see what you're doing. They understand the logistics and the numbers behind it.
0: Okay. So, and I love this methodology. And by the way, uh, for those of you who are maybe hearing this for the first time, possibly, um, this strategy works really well. And I will 100% attest to it because we currently, uh, between my dad and I, own somewhere around, it's like about $1.7 million in property. That I've had to put a total into of twenty thousand dollars, and the only reason I put twenty thousand into all owning all of that was because those were our first two properties, and we had no idea that you could even do this other way around it. Yeah. Um, but we just finished a refinance as part of the the bur um, and pulled out forty thousand. So technically, you know, I, I own one point seven million of real estate with no money out of pocket and actually having been paid to buy real estate, which is a crazy way. So it works. It absolutely works. Um, But I want to talk about a a couple of things because, you know, uh, through our process, we've had some struggles in in these things, and I'm sure other people do. Uh, So let's start with, Uh, lending relationships how and where do you build lending relationships and particularly for those of us uh, who maybe live in more appreciation markets like a san diego la or miami or new york city or areas where we wouldn't want to be buying in and we're trying to buy in let's say the the midwest i know you said before the call you're in arkansas you know ohio we hear texas and florida to a certain extent like we hear all those things but how do i create those relationships when i don't live there
1: yeah so when you're doing the burr strategy you know you want to think about having two different types of lending relationships one is the purchase and renovation money and then the long term finance money right the refinance money so you know on the the, the purchase and renovation money, right? That can come from anywhere, right? That's where we want to go out and raise private money. And that person can be in another country. They don't have to be in the same state that you're investing in that all that is, is a relationship where you're offering them an opportunity to earn 10 or 12 percent back on, you know, money that's, uh, backed and insured through real estate, maybe personally guaranteed, however you want to write up the contract. So that's number one, that doesn't really have to be local. Um, And then on the refinance side of things, what I did, I actually hired a virtual assistant um, in the Philippines and I had them scour the entire state of Arkansas. Um, Basically, I had them go on to every single bank, local bank. So like no Chase, no U.S. Bank, no Wells Fargo, no Bank of America, just local banks, like hometown banks. Find every single one of them in Arkansas they could find, go to their commercial lending site figure out who the head of their commercial lending was and put in their email and their phone number. And I think I wound up with like 70 or 80 and I just went down the line, boom, 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 until I figured out who could play the game that I was playing. Right. And who was excited about doing it with me. And that was the opportunity that, that that came, came to
0: fruition. That's, that's awesome. I'm a little jealous. I never thought about doing that before. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) um no that's perfect so um okay so you you get this list of of small you know home hometown banks and you start building a relationship figure out who's who's playing your game and now are you buying properties in areas that these lenders are in or that that meet that or are you still buying in the area that you determined and you're just trying to get a lender to plug into the area that you're in
1: yeah. I want to buy where I want to buy. Right. You know, okay. I don't like it when people kind of put me in their box. I want to fit them in mine. Right. So that's the goal. And realistically for most, I mean, I do invest in those blue collar to white collar areas. Right. I'm not, you know, investing in the, the urban core or anything like that. So for me, most of the time I'm in alignment with what the bank is wanting in terms of their risk portfolio. Yeah.
0: No, I I think that's huge. And and then do you ever worry about or have you run into an issue with with your refinancing lender that they go, you you got a lot with us right now, we don't don't want to take on more. Um, And you need to form new relationships? Or, you know, do they actually get excited about more because you're adding value? And obviously, they're making the interest rate uh, spread.
1: Yeah, it really depends on the bank, to be honest with you. You know, I've had a couple of banks that'll put like a 1.5 to 2 million cap, meaning that's like the debt load I can carry with them. So they're like, I don't, they're like, that can equal one property or it equal 100 properties, right? But $2 million is your cap. When we're there, we're done, right? So right. And, you know, I always revisit with that with them time to time, right? Because banks change their mind whenever they lent out $2 million and all of it's performing and all of it's doing so well. And they're like, oh, that kind of worked out better than I thought. Then they're like, we'll <laughs> give you another million bucks, you know, something like that. Right. And then there's other banks that are just like, just with an appetite. Um, One thing that you guys will find out is like really small hometown banks. What they'll do is they'll offer a deposit program for the people in their hometowns. And the deposit program is like CDs and stuff like that, where they're, they're giving a little bit better rate than like a larger bank would or something like that. They they set up very specific college saving plan for the people in their hometown and their demographics. And what happens with these hometown banks guys is they wind up having too much money. Like literally they're like, like they'll stop taking deposits, they'll stop their programs because they can't lend it out fast enough. I know you think that's mm. crazy, but it is. So, you know, for those smaller hometown banks, they only have one or two branches that are really out there in the community trying to develop their relationship, they're the ones with the cash. And they're they write their own lending guidelines, right? They're not following Fannie or Freddie Mac or anything like that. They're like, Hey, you know, we can we can put together whatever you need. So those creating those relationships is severely, severely needed. <laughs>
0: That's awesome, yeah, I know as as a as a person who worked in banking previously, specifically on more on the audit and security side of hacking them and breaking their stuff and and yeah. fixing it. Um, I, I can attest to the same thing. It's always interesting. you'll find the the, uh, the you know the the small like you said, the small one, two, maybe three branch banks are you know they they have different rules for things and and um i, I my experience too has also always been you know, they're usually run by someone who's been in the community for a long time, believes in the community and specifically wants to, you know, I don't know if this is a give back, but they want to see that that money reinvested in their community to help it continue to grow. And so they will often take on a different risk profile for properties just because they understand the market a whole lot better. Would you have you seen the same thing in in your experience?
1: Oh, 100 percent, you know, um, and, you know, they're What I like about them is once the relationship's there, once you've done five or 10 deals with them, you know, everybody just stops asking questions. Right. And it just, you know, it just kind of, it's just that much smoother of a process for you to get things done.
0: Nice. Nice. So now uh, let's go to the the, the other side of this, right? Because this all sounds great, but I know, for example, that you live in San Diego, but you're buying coffee, as you said, in Arkansas. How are you going about identifying, finding, you know, ensuring that it's not, you know, you're not getting ripped off or taken advantage of. Like, tell me more about how that works from, a, especially from a remote location.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I live in San Diego. I don't invest in San Diego. My closest rental property is literally 2,000 miles away. So, you know, what you can do outside of you know your hometown, if if your hometown isn't conducive to rental properties, is you know, I created um, an evaluation system. Right? It's basically I look at six data points um, across a State uh, statewide and then city specific, right? And I look to see if that area, that state, that city meets those data points. And if it does, then I have a green light for investing in that market. And then from there, uh, once we're at the city level, we have the green light, then we go to the neighborhood level, right? And there's a lot of resources like neighborhood scouts and, and city data, that really kind of paint the picture of like what zip code and what neighborhood has to offer in terms of housing price points, demographics, you know, employment, median income, all of these different things. Right. So then we start narrowing it down to the neighborhood. Then one thing that you asked was, you know, how do we make sure we're not getting ripped off? Right. How do we uh, inspect what we expect? Right. A a, a kind of phrase I always like to use. And the way that we do that is just hire an independent third party, right? The best one to use is a independent property inspector. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have multiple in every market that I invest in, and you know, I'll put a property under contract, but I will never buy a property without them looking at it first. And that's going to allow me to make a determination if what I'm getting into is uh, good or, or not good. Um, and uh, you guys want a, a really cool thing? I literally just learned about like 48 hours ago.
0: Definitely. Let's let's hear it. Yeah. So no f-
1: it's this, give me, give me. this is, it's a new San Diego company. It's called QuickFix. fix. Q W I K quickfix.com. So So um, one of my teammates figured this out. So I'm giving her all the credit. This is the coolest thing ever. So you do a property inspection, right? So let's say you've never seen this house, right? Property inspector does a great job. Great notes, great pictures. You basically, all you do is literally upload, this property inspection to quickfix.com. Uh, mm-hmm. you get assigned a individual and based on where this property is, where in the market, what all the notes were, they build out a scope of work and pricing to fix everything for you in that market. And they'll give you contractors. And if you want, they'll manage the project
0: for you. Wow.
1: yeah, That's I about awesome. of my, Yeah. I was like, <laughs> get out of here. Right. So yeah. We're we're uh, beta testing it as we speak right now.
0: That's that's amazing. I mean, I could still totally see that. Like, yeah, I would hundred percent do that all the time. And like, even yep. even for us, right? Like, I have, you know, all of our properties are in Buffalo, New York, and I know the market inside and out. But my parents just left there, right. So yeah. now I'm at the same at the same point. Like, okay, well, you know, I, I don't I, I don't necessarily want to stop buying there just because we found that it's a, a great cash flow market, and I know enough to know where to to yeah. you know not risk it. But yeah, it's like, okay, well, how do I, how do I have someone that can, you know, do these things and, and really be a, a boots in the ground since, you know, I don't have that anymore. So I think that's huge. Wow. Yep. Yeah. It's a super cool thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, having that inspector
1: is there to, to, to watch your back and, you know, just get an inspection done on everything you do, especially if it's outside of your backyard. That's, that's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that there was a, a few data points for like markets. Would you share a mm-hmm. couple of those with us?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So the first thing I'm doing at the state level is I want to see are they investor friendly or are they resident friendly? Right. Um, You know, now you and I both invest in what we would consider resident friendly states. Right. So it doesn't mean that we can't do it. I have houses in Connecticut, you own houses in New York. Right. Right. Uh, Perpetually very or very renter friendly states. Um, So it it can still be done and done very successfully. But, you know, at the top line, you'd always want to invest in investor friendly state where the laws are on your side, not on the resident side.
0: And then and the I, state- I do. I want to. I want to just chime in real quick for that. For anyone who doesn't know about why, like obviously I'm from Buffalo. My parents were in Buffalo, and we started buying rentals before knowing any of this stuff, right? Like, so yeah. I, I didn't know any any better than that uh, to go out there and find things in the places. Now we now that we know better, we're you know looking in other places too. But yeah, our our cash flow often compensates the insane cash yeah. flow compensates for the risk that we have in that state. But keep going.
1: Yeah, and then at the state level, right? We're looking at Uh, GMP, which is gross metro product, it's just the fancy term for GDP of a city. Um, So we want to see, you know, is the city growing from a financial standpoint, right? Is it continuing to produce more and more? Are there more and more jobs being added? We're looking at what's called um, uh, HAI or housing affordability index, right? How affordable is it for someone based on the median income of that that city, how affordable is it for someone to live there, pay rent, uh, all of those different factors. Um, we're looking at socioeconomic anchors, which is a fancy term for who are the big job suppliers, right? And, you know, going into a recession right now, right? You know, this is, um, this, you know, plays such a big part because you, you can't completely recession-proof a business, but you can come pretty close, right? You know, uh, an example I always like to use is Las Vegas, versus um, Memphis, Tennessee. Now, Las Vegas is getting better, right? They're adding all these sports teams and stuff like that. But for the majority of it, it's all tourism, right? right? You know, people go to Las Vegas to spend the extra cash that they have Drink and have fun, right? And when they don't have any extra cash, guess what? They don't go to Las Vegas, right? But you look at Tennessee or Memphis specifically, right? They have the largest transportation airport in the world, right? They have FedEx World Headquarters, Nike distribution plant, military distribution plant, right? Just the, it's endless, right? So from a transportation standpoint, which you know, I don't see Amazon slowing down anytime soon. Um, right. <laughs> you know, you'll, you're you're going to constantly see jobs and job growth in that city. So that's those are the things we're looking for. And I
0: I think that's that's so important. Um, you know, I remember that there was a. Uh, Back in my marketing class and in college, um, there was it, it, this. I don't know why this particular story always stuck with me, but we were talking about recessions and, and economics ups and downs and things like that. And uh, he said, You know, one of the most resilient businesses that grows during a recession that you would never think? What? Heinz.
1: <laughs> really
0: yeah because Heinz primary products are ketchup and mustard and when money is tight people buy cheaper cuts of meat which means they put more condiments on it to mask wow. the flavor the, the lesser that flavor of good stuff and I was like that's like, like, like it makes total sense right total um, sense. and and in the context of real estate obviously Heinz has nothing to do with real estate but what yeah. I, the reason that I brought that up is you know, I think your point is, is brilliant, right? We got to understand in all times in good times and bad times, does the, does the industry uh, have staying power, sticky power? Is it going to be able to survive through there? Are we going to see, you know, see things happen, right? Like if you're, uh, if you're in in an area that doesn't have that, it it becomes concerning long-term. And going back to your earlier point where we talked about, Hey, like, Aren't people are going to lose jobs and whatever? Uh, not necessarily, right? They just yeah. might not spend as much money, but they still have to have a place to live. They still have to have a, a roof over their head. It's a, it's a basic human need. And so we get to be the people that can provide that for folks as long as we understand what we're getting ourselves into.
1: Yeah, 100%. I always like, you know, the, the game of investing. Right, is all based on perspective, right? And I don't I'm sure you've heard of them. I don't know if anyone else has, but Ray Dalio, uh, he wrote a book uh, called Principles. And Ray Dalio is known as the most book. yeah, most successful investor on the face of the planet, right? He has he has beaten the stock market year over year for like forty years. It's insane. And mm-hmm. You know, the way he did it was he, he just, I think it was in the seventies or eighties, he just got wrecked, right? Like, lost everything. And he was like, he was like, I can't, he's like, I can't believe that this is the first time it ever happened. Like, you know, I can't believe like this set of things that occurred was the first time it happened in history. And he goes, he goes, you know, he realized that just because it didn't happen in his lifetime doesn't mean it didn't happen. So what he did was he took all the trades ever done uh, in the United States stock market had people put it into a computer and uh, turn it into an algorithm. And basically just from what has happened in the past, he's able to read the future based on a couple markers. And, you know, I think, you know, perspective being what it is, you know, you look back at 2007 and everyone in 2010 were really pissed. They bought a house in 2006, right? Everyone right. in 2022 is, is pissed. They didn't buy a house in 2006 right You know what we perceived as the highest market it could ever get to was just blown away in the last
0: three years right and it's so
1: funny mm-hmm. to think about
0: No it, it's, it's absolutely true and I think it was interesting I was actually on a, on a call with him not one on-one but he was like like a, like a group call and he was talking about that same idea over a period of time we can see a whole lot of things and there's always industries niches markets that will go up almost everything will over time some not everything will make it but real estate he was talking about specifically is one yep. of those that you know is not exactly recession proof but um you know as about as close as it can possibly get especially when it comes to you know the rental side of things so i think that's huge um awesome well john dude like i i'm sure we could probably talk from the. Another- 10 hours if we really wanted to about this stuff. We, we both we both geek out, but I, I appreciate you taking the time to be on. Um, if p- folks want to know more about you or where to find you, where can they connect with you or, or drop in and, and um, see more of what you got going on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very similarly to you, uh, I run, run a free Facebook group. It's called Rental Property Pro Master... Yeah, I know. Rental Property Pro, uh, Master Burr Investing. Um, Come join, check it out, guys. Uh, I do a lot of value add posts on a weekly basis. I do a weekly live at Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I answer questions. I always train on a different topic and, you know, a lot of good, awesome free information. I mean, you know, going back to what I had talked about previously is, you know, when I had that conversation with myself a decade ago, like the next time this happens, I'm going to be ready. And that's what I'm working towards. And the reason why I started the group, you know, three, four months ago is for that fact. right? Like other people should be ready for this, whether you know it or not. And, you know, get rid of this scared mindset. It's called a buyer's market for a reason, right? You should be right. buying houses.
0: So let's, know, let's get you focused on that, you know? I, it was funny. I was just talking to somebody the other day and I was like, if I knew what I knew now in 2010, when I uh, first got to Los Angeles and I was, you know, I did a bunch of houses out there. If I had simply held on to, which, you know, I take what you will, but if I'd held on to that real estate that I bought, um, I literally would have made uh, in 10 years approximately $15 million. I just looked up the valuations and I was like, Huh. <laughs> yeah. What? And so um you know, I, I just wanna I wanna reiterate, right? We are entering a time that will likely be an amazing opportunity that only comes once a decade, maybe once every couple decades, um, you know, depending on where, you know certain things. But uh, I'm excited for it. And you know, if you want to learn more about building that strategy and being able to do it again with very little money out of your own pocket. Definitely go check out John's group. I am in it myself and can attest to the content that I've seen him put out so far. Yeah, man, I really
1: appreciate it. And yeah, you know, I, I probably moved to San Diego around the same time you moved to LA. And I remember, um, there's this condo, like a high-rise condo complex by the beach in PB. And it's the only one, I don't know how it got grandfathered in, but it's this monstrosity, right? And I remember at like the bottom of the market, which we know where the bottom of the market is now, 10 years later, you know, condos there were selling would range anywhere from about seventy to two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. And I remember thinking about that, like even the two seventy ones. I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of expensive, right?" It's like a two bedroom, <laughs> two bath, like nine hundred square feet or something like that. They're selling today for a million dollars. Like, can you imagine you just bought ten seventy thousand dollar condos? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Uh,
0: yeah, it's always it's it's yeah it's, uh, it's crazy, but. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. Truly appreciate it for all of you listening, watching, joining us. Uh, there's only one thing that I ask. If you enjoyed this, you learned something, share it with a friend. Invite a friend to our group, check it out. Because uh, at the end of the day, this is all great information, but it is only actually gets to people and helps them if we get out there, which I need your support doing. So simple payment, invite a friend or two along to this podcast and or show depending on where you're watching or listening. And of course, I appreciate your time. This is the most valuable thing that you can give to both John and myself. And so I acknowledge you for, for spending the time to listen in and check in. We'll see you guys on another show real soon. Uh, we do every single week, Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So we'll see you there. John, thank you again for being on. Truly appreciate your knowledge and information.
1: Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. See you guys soon. Bye.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Three Degrees Consulting. If you need funnels, websites, paid ads management, or help with any of your digital marketing, Three Degrees Consulting is your go to source for everything. Check them out at www.go3dc.com. That's G O, the number three. D is in degrees, C is in consulting.com. Go check them out right now.